Welcome to How Do You Write? I'm your host, Rachel Heron. On this podcast, I talk to authors about how they write, what their process is, and how their lives fit together. I'll keep each episode short so you can get back to writing. Well, hello, writers. Welcome to episode number 123 of How Do You Write? I am Rachel Heron, and I'm so glad you're here. Today, we are talking to the lovely Dr. Trisha Bruce, and she is talking about what you need and what you might not need to do your writing. I had a really lovely time talking to her. I found her spirit and energy very inspiring, and I know that you will too. I'm going to keep this intro so short. It has been a week. If you watch on the video, you can probably tell my eyes are drooping. It's almost 10 at night, and given that I usually go to bed at 9, I am sleepy. So just a quick update. I wrote my Patreon essay and for once got it out a day ahead of time. That was pretty great. Um, I'm writing about money. And in this last essay, I explored my greatest shame in my life, um, something that was money related. And just getting it into the essay and out in the world made me feel amazing. It really demonstrated to me again, the power of the written word. I'm not even going to tell you what it is. If you really want to know, you can pay a dollar and go read it on um, Patreon. Uh, I really think it takes the essay to explain the whole thing, but it really, at the very end of the essay, when I was done writing, I realized what my biggest block about money is and how and why I feel guilty when I spend money. It was pretty incredible. So I'm very pleased with that. That feels really good to get out of the way. I just finished um, an edit of a manuscript. I do not usually edit anymore. I just don't have time. But I just finished editing an amazing memoir manuscript of a story that really needs to be told and needs to be heard. And it is so beautiful. And that was one of the many things I was doing for the last couple of weeks. It is so gorgeous. And I literally just turned the last page a few minutes ago. Um, and I'm still in the book. I'm sure I will be dreaming the book tonight. Um, so I was honored and happy to do that. And I think tomorrow I've got a bunch more stuff to do, but, um, those were my big things this week to complete and they're complete. And I'm, that's awesome. Oh, tomorrow is a big thing starting. Um, 90 days to done. My masterclass is starting tomorrow. And I could not be more excited. I put together a 30-minute video <laughs> for them today, a welcome video. I thought it was going to be like a nice little five-minute video, but no, I'm very excited about taking 12 people through novel writing from the beginning to the end. And I'm also going to be writing a novel at the same time they are. This is my class that I offer at Berkeley, but really on steroids because we do not write a whole book in the Berkeley class. So um, I'll keep you posted on how that's going. I'm super stoked to see what we can do together. And that's my catch up. I would like to thank new patrons, Kristen Hilberg. Thank you, Kristen. Um, Gavin Collinson. Thank you, Gavin, so much for being a new patron. Barbara Edelman. She is at the level which gets 30 minutes of coaching with me a month. And I've worked with Barbara before and she's rad. And um, I, I love talking to her about her book. So life is sweet, y'all. This is some good stuff. Um, and what else is going to be really good is my bed in about 
last six and a half minutes. So I wish you happy writing. Please get some done. No one can write what you can write. You are the only person who can do that. I'm going to keep telling you that because sometimes we all forget. Um, but we really are put here for a purpose. And if part of your purpose is to write, you know it, you feel it in your heart. So get it done. Please make me happy. Make yourself happy. Do some writing and tell me about it. We will talk soon. Enjoy the interview. Have you been sending out that perfect query letter and hearing crickets? Well, did you know that I am the query letter whisperer? I honestly love to work on them and they get results. Lorena Hughes, the award-winning author of The Sisters of Alameda Street says, with just a few clever tweaks, Rachel Heron transformed my long and wordy proposal into a sharp query letter that got me agent requests the very next day. I honestly live for fixing query letters. They're like puzzles in my brain. What I do is I overhaul the good drafting that you've already done. I don't write the rough draft for you. I do rearrange your ideas into exactly what the industry expects and responds to for the low, low price of 100 bucks. If you're interested, just go to rachelherron.com slash query and see more information and more testimonials from satisfied clients. Now onto the interview. Well, I could not be more pleased today to welcome to the show, Trisha Bruce. Hi, Trisha. Hi, thanks for having me. It's so nice to have you. Let me give you a little introduction. Trisha Bruce, PhD, is an accomplished sociologist of religion and award-winning author. Her work intersects the sociological and cultural implications of religion, social change, organizations, social movements, immigration, and race. Dr. Bruce is a regular television and radio commentator on a wide variety of contemporary sociological topics, including religion, Catholicism, social trends, family, gender, and more. It's so cool to have you on the show. We do a, I do a lot with um, fiction writers and yes. not so much with nonfiction, um, but I'm also a nonfiction writer as well as fiction. So this is going to be great. Yeah, but um, you are kind of an expert in, in process, which is what this podcast is all about mm-hmm. and how people get their work done. Um, how they get their writing from their brains onto the page. But I would love it if you told us about your writing process and how you work. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think as a sociologist, you know, one one thing that we go in with right away is thinking through, okay, we have these really big ideas and and they, they're tied to research, right? So one of the big part of the big pieces of the process is having to do all the research. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then oftentimes we can just get overwhelmed. You know, I'm, I'm someone uh, who draws on a lot of qualitative data. So interview-based data, field research, and we might have all of this uh, really rich data with a story to tell uh, about society, right, about the world around us, uh, and yet we want to get it out there. Uh, and so for me, you know, part of, I bring that that same systematic approach uh, that I use in my research to my writing. So I think through, okay, where do I want to go? What is my vision for this? Um, and one of the things that I do super early in my process for my books is write out the table of contents, you know, and you're thinking, okay. Wow. How much does that change as you go through? I can't even imagine writing the TOC first. Yeah. Is it, you know, a, is it really a guideline that you stick to? Um, you know, I, I definitely change a little bit along the way, but the way that that emerges is again from, so for example, with my interviews, um, I'll qualitatively co- code all of the interviews. So it's almost like, like hashtagging them. So you're kind of identifying themes that are in there. And so I've already coded all the interviews. And then from that, I group the codes into meaningful groups wow. and those 
titles essentially become the chapter titles. And so when I move, you know, through the writing process, I'm essentially bringing those groups um, of the, the data into each of the chapters. So I have a little Excel file um, for each of my books that starts to outline, okay, what are my codes? What are the meaningful groups? How do they hang together? And then what would that chapter be? You know, what is that theme? And then that becomes my roadmap uh, for the rest of the way. I'm so fascinated by this because this is something I've never, never done or heard of. So when you qualitatively code this, what does right. it actually look like on the page? Are you dealing with um, Word documents that you're taking the interviews from and then, you know, putting them at the top like hashtags or are do you actually, yeah. are there other ways? Yeah. So I actually spent all of today coding. Um, <laughs> very much fresh in my mind um, with, with some data that I'm working with for a book. But, you know, there are different ways to do it. Um, the old school paper way would be to print out all of your interview transcriptions yeah. or your field data. And then as you go through on the margins, literally, you can write, okay, what are the themes? If someone's talking about family, then you might write family. And then every time family comes up in different co different interviews, then you could, you would have that, that tag again. The way that I do it and that a lot of sociologists do it now is using um, computer-assisted qualitative data analysis. So I use a program called Atlas TI. Uh, and it really smooths out the process because then I can identify each of the transcripts that I've uploaded by various characteristics, whether it's, you know, this is from a man that's 55 and white and lives in New York or something, mm -hmm. uh, and then uh, match them each that way. And then again, I just go through systematically reading them. And then you can actually block a text or select mm. a block text and then put whatever code it is you um, you want to in there. And you can later combine codes or see how codes interrelate. Um, but these programs will allow you to basically pull out then all of the the blocks that you have marked with a given a code. So it'll populate a document. It's usually pretty long. Um, yeah. And and then you read. So if you're coding something like family, to use that example, then you have you you print that report and you can look. Okay, here's what all of my 60 interviews um, interviewees said about family. Oh and my that's gosh, I want that for my life. It's like a it's like a <laughs> metadata techno technological post it situation. Yes. <laughs> yes, and it really helps with writing. And I mean, writing is difficult in so many ways, and you're not someone who I have to tell that to, um, or any of your audience. So there's, there's so much to it. And yet this process to me kind of breaks it down to make the writing feel like it's it's a way for me to tell this story. Uh, and so it, it's so much less intimidating than a blank page. And we only have these tools now, and people have always done it the old way. You must be so grateful right. for this program. It, yes, that's a, it is a wonderful program. That's yeah. amazing. So how do you order your life in terms of getting your writing done and doing the rest of your life, fitting all that in? Yes, right. Well, this is always a challenge, right? Um, and I'm someone who, you know, for 12 years uh, worked at a, a small teaching intensive uh, liberal arts in institution. So uh, the expectation is that you're, you know, teaching and doing service and advising all the time. And, and the writing tends to be, you know, often the last thing. Um, and yet it is it is the way we as, as researchers, um, me as a sociologist, tries to get those ideas out there. So it means a lot of creativity, right? Um, and mm -hmm. I'm, I'm I also have a couple kids at home uh, and and juggling a bunch of different projects. Um, and so for me, you know, um, I tend to write, break my writing down into pretty small chunks. Um, you know, I use the Pomodoro technique. Yes. Um, I tend to time everything. Um, and since I do have various projects that I'm working on, then I, I organize my palms by project. 
Um, and I'm pretty intentional too about, I, I think I almost write in reverse in the sense of, okay, if I want to finish this article or this book by this date, um, then, you know, and this is my starting point, then you kind of back up and think, what is it going to take? And so I break it down really starting with a year and then months and then weeks. Um, and then once you have that, that vision or that goal of where you're going, then it becomes more a matter of, um, division at that point. Okay. What do I have to do to get to this point? Um, and so I try to, I'm also pretty outcome based. So I make sure that I'm not just spinning my wheels. I want to show, okay, I have word count or I've mm -hmm. sent this thing out or I've conducted this interview on this day towards this project. There's something so reassuring to me about all the math is, that is involved in writing and drafting. Um, yes. I do a lot of math. I always, I, I say this in one of my books that there's just, we, you have no idea how many times you can divide a time frame into the number of words that you need. And then, you know, when you get a migraine and you're out for a day, you're doing the math in your head, you know, you're rejiggering I, everything. Absolutely. <laughs> well, and I, I think it's, it's so much easier to say, okay, I can find 25 minutes to write yes, or even 10 yes. minutes. You know, I can write for a small period of time because mm -hmm. otherwise we're, we're constantly saying, well, I just need a, I need a full day or I need a full mm -hmm. week. And believe me, I love those two. I take a writing retreat each year, but you know, you, that's not normal life. Um, and so when you can carve it down into those small pieces and then just the practice of it, you start mm -hmm. to realize, oh, this, this works and it's less intimidating the next day to dive back into it because you know you're, you're just devoting, okay, let's do 25 minutes or another 25 minutes. Mm -hmm. I always find my first one is the hardest and then after that, the rest of the day as they feed in, that's fine. Exactly. But the, the first one is bra always breaking the seal. So what that's is, what is your biggest challenge when it comes to writing? Yeah. You know, as, as a sociologist and as a researcher, I have to get the story right. Uh, and yeah. so um, the, and, and you're someone who writes nonfiction too, you know, there, there's a, um, there's a, a bar in terms of, you know, we've got to get it right. Um, and in my field, there's, uh, of course a, um, a culture of peer review. And so this is read by other experts in the field. Um, so to me, you know, I, I'm very careful about doing the research, right. Doing the data analysis, right. Trying to get the story, right. I know that there's subjectivity therein and, and positionality in terms of what I bring to it and what I see versus what someone else might see. But I do want to be able to do my best job with, you know, representing what I'm learning. Um, and then I think other, the other big challenge I have too probably would just be impatience. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, these things take so long. Um, I, I do occasionally do some uh, work that's more journalistic in orientation and I'm kind of amazed because the turnaround is so quick. You know, you, okay, we, there's a, a story out and we want to understand the sociological perspective on it right now, you know, <laughs> and that could be published within, you know, four days after you turn it in. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I'm like driving to the TV studio a half hour later. Um, oh, and so wow. I, yeah, literally, I mean, this is what usually happens. Yeah. And so, which is great because then I feel like, okay, all this research that I just have at the ready and I can use that. But for my, my books and my bigger projects that really matter to me, um, it, it takes a long time and you have to, you have to be committed to it and then recognize, okay, this is going to be a, this is a long-term game. Um, and, and it's, you know, each of these palms 
uh, is getting you closer to it. You know, it's like, um, you know, the, the sage riding device we hear about, you know, it's like driving, uh, in the night with your headlights, you know, you can only see as far as the headlights, but, but, but you, you eventually get the whole get way for people yes. who, who might not know what palms or pomodoros are. We've talked about them before, but they are, it's an app and it's a way of dividing up your time. You work 25 minutes with a timer and then you take a five minute break or a 15 minute break if you need a longer one. So, and they're, they're wonderful. So what is your biggest joy when it comes to writing? Mm. You know, um, I, I do this work and I, I write because I love it. Um, mm -hmm. I just, something just that really awakens me inside, um, just in terms of the actual process, but I write the stuff that I write because I feel like, and I hope that it will matter, um, in, in the world in terms of our, yeah. uh, you know, whether it's our self-conception or, um, the ways that we think about inequality or injustice. Um, and so to me, you know, I get really excited when, uh, I'm kind of, I hold my stuff in for a long time. And then at some point you release it to the world, right? And there's this moment of, of panic or fear. Uh, but then there's a moment of hope too. Like, okay. Um, not only is this, does this feel good? Cause I finished something and it's out there, out there, but, um, maybe it'll, maybe it'll change, you know, maybe it will, um, help people to think through how do we live together? Um, how do we build a world that is more, um, equitable or happy or, uh, peaceful? Uh, and so, you know, to, that's, that's a hard joy to hold on to all the time because usually I'm just in the midst of the actual writing. Right. Um, but I know that that's, um, that's possible, right? And I know that that's what I'm working towards. And I do see that through some of the work that I do, too. It's a gift that we have as writers that I don't think we think about as often as we should, that we have the potential to change the world in a very real, direct way, more than, you know, our friends who change the world in different ways. We get to do it through this particular medium that we love so much. And I just, I really appreciate that you said that. Can, yeah. can you share a craft tip of any sort? Sure. Yeah, you know, um, I think a couple of things that I think about, you know, one, again, um, and I know if, uh, folks on your podcast have, have shared similar thoughts in terms of, you know, how do you stop in a way that allows you to start again? Yes. Um, it's funny because I had a, a friend who was over for dinner a couple weeks ago and he, he shared that his, um, his reverse shifter didn't work. Like it, he could not shift into reverse. <laughs> he could only go forward. And so, I mean, thankfully park still works so he could park and he could drive. And I said, how can you even drive? Like, why? I can't believe you're still driving this car. And he's like, no, you know, I'm, he was, he's an economist. He's like, no, my car <laughs> fine. He said, I just have to pay attention to where I park. You know, you always have to like park. I love this back. analogy. And, and in a way so that then whenever he kicks it into drive, he needs to make sure he can go. Otherwise he's going to be pushing his car. Right. So, um, so I know we, we had a good laugh about this. Um, and I think he might need a new car, uh, <laughs> but it, it did help me because I was thinking, you know what, that's so smart because you want to, you, you literally want to park on a downhill slope. I mean, you yes. want to just be ready so that you can get into drive again. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm a, uh, I need my creature comforts too. Like I, I get that there are things that are really useful for me. It's a vanilla latte, you know, <laughs> I need my <laughs> vanilla latte. In fact, I, I usually plan my writing retreats around density of coffee houses in an area. <laughs> That's very smart. <laughs> so, yes. so, I mean, you just, I think you recognize in yourself, okay, what do I need? And it's fair to have some of those, um, you know, hopefully the list isn't too long, but you know, have a few things and then feel like, okay, 
and and then you're ready to go. You know, you're ready to to start driving as soon as you hit hit the ground running again. <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm gonna concentrate on parking on a downhill slope from now on in my life. I I just love that so much. Okay. So when you are with other writing friends, what is the thing in writing that you always come back to the thing that you want to talk most about? For me, it's process, which is why I have this show, but what, what is it for you? Yeah. Yeah. This is a great question. And also it, it, you know, it says something too about how, um, isolated we often are as writers. Yeah. I think sometimes, um, and you know, for me, not only on the writing side, but also, um, in my particular specialty area. So there, you know, I don't have folks who are thinking about, um, sociology of religion is mostly what I write in. And I, I don't have regular folks who are right next door or who are in the office across the hall that I can talk to about this. Um, and so for us, you know, when these conferences that we have are super important, um, and, and we all get together and really, um, try to create a supportive environment. Um, I think because there's such a culture of trying to get ahead in academia and there's a lot of pressure around trying to get a small number of jobs that are not available for everyone, then trying to get tenure, then trying to get promoted. And, uh, and because of that, I think, um, it, it's a very, it can be a cutthroat and competitive environment. Um, and so I'm pretty intentional about, um, being supportive and then especially seeking out, those younger scholars, whether it's graduate students or assistant professors, uh, and saying, Hey, you can do this. <laughs> you know, mm. I support you. Um, and also you can have a life, you know, you can take the weekend off. Um, you can have a baby, you know, I think that we, uh, you know, both as, as writers, as, as scholars, as teachers, it's, um, it's so much. And sometimes we, and there's so much critique um, that we hear from others that we critique ourselves and we try to, to really just pour all of ourselves into it without giving our enough back to ourselves, you know. Um, so for me, I think a lot of my intentionality there is, is OK, how do we how do we support? How do we build each other up um, and, and really make uh, writing and, and academia as a whole a, a more friendly, supportive place? Well, it sounds like you come from a background of having been mentored. Is that yeah. true? Because you do because because you look at these people and are mentoring. Is that something that you had when you were coming yeah. up? Yeah, you know, I definitely had folks who um, saw in me things before I saw them in myself. <laughs> you know, when I mean, there was a, a nun when I was a uh, in my church when I was growing up. Who, um, you know, I knew I kind of wanted to sing, but she she said, "Here's a microphone, and you have a solo this Sunday." Oh. And, and I think, you know, those kinds of intimidating spaces where someone says, you know, I know you don't have the confidence yet in yourself, but I have the confidence in you. Uh, and those kinds of moments, I think, really stuck with me. Uh, and so when I, um, when I think about, you know, how, yeah, how do we build each other up? It, it comes back to those kinds of messages. You know, how do we recognize, hey, we have, uh, we all have weaknesses, but we also have strengths and we can, um, build confidence, um, through our, our collective strength. Um, so I, I try to be, do that a lot as well. It's funny how those kinds of memories don't leave you either. I have yep. very, very clear memories of, the exact people who encouraged me in my writing career from, you know, my high school teacher to my favorite college professor to my favorite professor in grad school. And I, I never remember, I never forget what they said to me on those moments that I, that I thought, Oh, I could, you know, this is a dream that might happen. I could do this. 
That's awesome. It makes such a difference in our trajectory. I totally agree. And if we think about that, yeah, if we think about that one sentence from us, these are one sentence conversations that I remember, you know, one sentence from you could change a life like that. That's wonderful. So what is the best book you've read recently and why did you love it? Well, in terms of my own reading, I I read a ton of things. Um, But um, book-wise, probably most of them fall into the category of either um, just random self-help stuff or sociology. So I I won't share the self-help side. Oh, I love the self-help side. (laughs) I I do too. I do too. But but I don't want to drop too many hints on what I'm reading on that front. So um, yeah, so on the sociology side... um, you know, I, I think a lot of sociology books try to both, um, and some better than others, but but try to be well written and also to convey an important message. Um, and the uh, one of the books that I read recently that I really enjoyed is one that's called I actually have it with me. I pulled it from my shelf. It's called uh, Palaces for the People, um, and it's by um, Eric Kleinenberg, and he's a sociologist who lives in New York. And um, it, he writes about social infrastructure, but basically places like libraries and schools and mm. gatherings and how that matters to build community and reduce polarization and and help us help each other. Uh, mm. And what I like about how he writes it is that he's very much a part of the story, too. Um, you know, he, he tells a story. He's in the story. Um, it gives voice to others who are who are in the city um, and some of the, the pain points of our, our redevelopment, urban redevelopment. Um, and and I think he effectively does that in a very readable way. Uh Oh, you froze hits on the important note, you know, it's, it's worth reading. That <laughs> sounds like a lot of sociology is, is uh, important, but it's not as well written. <laughs> That's wonderful. Thank you for putting that on our list. Um, and what would you like to tell us about yourself right now? Where, where can we find you? Tell us about your books. Tell us about any projects you're working on. Sure, sure. Yeah, I've got a few different projects in the works right now. Um, my website is uh, trishabruce.com. So T-R-I-C-I-A Bruce, B-R-U-C-E.com. I'm on Twitter at Trisha C. Bruce. Uh, so I, I'll update uh, folks there too. But I have a few different projects I'm working on. Uh, one related to the uh, adaptive reefs of churches. So what happens to churches when they're no longer used for religious purposes or worship purposes? Fascinating. Uh, yeah, and I've actually done some interviews with uh, folks around the globe on that one. So I'm pretty excited about that project. So uh, cool. Yeah. And then co-writing a book on Asian American Catholics with a couple colleagues based on some research that was commissioned for the USCCB a couple years ago. Um, and then uh, and then I have a big new project uh, on Americans' abortion attitudes. So that one will be, I think, interesting as well and, and difficult. <laughs> that write. makes you sound pretty fearless. Yeah, because I hope so. you know <laughs> you're treading into to very yeah. emotional volatile waters and that's and as a sociologist that must be such an interesting thing to do it is but you know i think we can't shy away from the hard stuff yeah. um and i think sociology gives us tools to be able to navigate really difficult topics it has been so delightful talking to you yeah likewise I, enjoyed the conversation very much wonderful thank you so much for being on the show and we will thank keep an eye out on what you are doing in the future Great. Thanks, Thanks so Trisha. much. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of How Do You Write? 
You can reach me on Twitter, Rachel Heron, or at my website, rachelheron.com. You can also support me on Patreon and get essays on living your creative life for as little as a buck an essay at patreon.com slash Rachel, spelled R-A-C-H-A-E-L. And do sign up for my free weekly newsletter of encouragement to writers at rachelheron.com slash write. Now go to your desk and create your own process. Get to writing, my friends. <laughs>